We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal get back to winning ways in the Europa League, but it may be quite some time before they do it again. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, your block man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, yeah, look, it is it is uh, an occasion for us to discuss the Europa League and Marquinhos, who had, I think, a great full debut, and we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the performance of, of Fabio Vieira and all of that, and and it would have been with an eye towards, might they get a chance to play against Everton this weekend? Might they be knocking on the door, the, the fabled knocking on the door? But no one is knocking on the door because the door has been shut, locked, and the key has been thrown away because uh, there will be no football this weekend, and that is due to the passing of the Queen. And so a couple of points here. Firstly, my sincere condolences, and may she rest in peace. It is certainly a monumentous occasion, a, a historic moment. And as an American, I am more than self-aware that I am not particularly connected to the occasion in the way some hearing my voice right now may be. I know there are others that will be saying, get on with it. I don't care. There's always a lot of opinions on everything, and certainly on this one there will be, but for some people it will be a particularly emotional moment. And it's important to be respectful of people who are feeling that way. This is an Arsenal podcast. <laughs> you probably knew that already. And we are going to discuss the fact that there is no football this weekend and potentially beyond and how that impacts Arsenal specifically and the season. And that is not out of a lack of respect for the occasion. It is out of the, the respect for you being a listener who comes here to want to hear this stuff. Much like you tell us, stay out of politics. I need an escape from that sometimes. Um, you know, you're probably going to tell us I'm coming here to get away from the other issues in life. And so we are here to provide that. So as I said, for those who don't care, yeah, not really being affected. For those who do care, my sincere condolences um, for the passing. And with that, we're going to get into the topics with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I'm going to make a recommendation. If you're missing the football and you've ever thought about signing up for our Patreon, we did a, a, two rewatches of the United game. First half, second half, obviously. The second half rewatch, I think, is one of the more eye-opening things you will watch if you want to really 
challenge your views on Arsenal and think about things a little differently. And so if you have an interest on that, Clive really goes into the details as we watch the game. I say a bunch of inane things to give him a chance to sip some water. It's it's pretty much our usual fare. You're going to love it, and I, I hope you will uh, consume it. But if you don't, certainly understood. So, Paul, I'll start with you. I, look, the we're going to get to the Europa League thing because that's some football to discuss. But it, it is interesting. I think when a team is in good form and winning and at the top of the league and has a home game against a team you're probably going to be favored against, I'm sure everyone within Arsenal will be saying, we want to play this game, let's get this game, because you don't know when it's going to be rearranged to or what your situation will be. A perfect example of that is the North London Derby last season, right? Um, and not that I think we were in great nick to play it when it would have been played originally, but we certainly would have preferred it in hindsight, <laughs> knowing how it turned out in the end. Um, so, I mean, this game could now wind up going to a point where Arsenal's season feels very different. And I'm curious just how you think, at a very superficial level, for Arsenal, it impacts us not having this game, this specific game right now, and not knowing when it's going to be made up. Yeah, look, after losing in a highly emotional uh, game the previous weekend, you want to get on it. And the Europa League, that's good, scratches the itch a little bit. But uh, they must have been itching to play at the Emirates with the crowd behind them, get confirm to themselves and everybody else in the first five minutes of that game that uh, it's not a, an illusion, it's not a mirage, that we get the, the show right back on the road again and uh, weave our magic on the pitch. Um, so I'm sure they're all massively ticked off but from a footballing standpoint that they don't get the chance to get out there, uh, rev up the engine, go through the gears, and uh, put on a real performance here, get their three points, get the momentum back, stay at the top of the table. Like, this is this is our particular section of the season. There's probably no team in the league who's more keen on playing their next game, keeping it going, keeping the momentum. I can think of a couple of teams who'll be absolutely fucking delighted to have a protracted period at their training grounds uh, including the team we played last weekend, where they're just trying to rewire how they work, how they play. Yep. Yep. Uh, Chelsea, developed right? a, For sure, Graham Potter's mm-hmm. going to be like, well, he's going to say thank you um, <clears throat> to the to the powers that be. And, like, time on the train. Like, the one thing we had, uh, and, like, I still feel geeked about it because you can't recreate everything we did in – in preseason in the space of a week or a week and a half or two weeks, whatever it may end up being, and then yet in the international break. But like we came into this year, the one thing I loved about it, you know I was a big preseason guy, right? Um I am I am there's a good Irishism. I amn't always an uh, preseason guy. Uh, yeah. but this one I thought was particularly meaningful. I won't go through all the reasons, but you could see that there was the potential that that momentum, the way we were playing, the players we brought in, that that wasn't a mirage, that that wasn't just the preseason effect. That was actually a bunch of players who were having the time to click, who were on the same page. We took that into the season. So you see preseason and the start of the season, those uh, what is it six games? You can see a continuity there. It's an, there's no disjunction there in the middle of it. There's there are no mirages. Even yeah. the game against United, I would say, you see the continuity of the way we play. There are things we wished we'd done better. Things 
uh, m- maybe a couple of areas we dropped off in, but you see a real continuity through all that. And so from our side, we wanted to maintain that and push on and get to the next level. And to one or two or three of our components, they think they're rubbing their hands, think, thinking time on the, the uh, training ground with, with players I'm just getting to grips with or I've just met. I have to say this too, and again, I realize I say this from my position of being disconnected from the emotion of the moment. There have been a, a bunch of people who've already gotten in touch with me who had planned travel to the UK for this yeah. weekend and the midweek game, right? Because we're home to Everton, home to PSV. That's a nice couple of games to choose to be your, maybe in some instances, first ever trip to the Emirates. Um, you know, and they the were Arsenal out- women's as well. There's those games and people traveling to those. Yep, yep. That's a good point as well. And so, people out quite a bit of money and life experience. So I, I do want to certainly send my apologies to people who are going through that as well. Um, it, it, the, the the reality is that this is going to have an impact on the cadence of the season. And if next week's games are canceled as well, you could be in a weird situation where they go forward with the international break. And the next time we play is in the Derby, having not played football in three or four weeks, whatever it'll have been at that time, October 1st. So I guess three weeks time. Um, And that, you know, that is a really strange situation to find yourself in. It could be the case that next weekend's games go ahead and we go from having a home game against Everton and a home game against PSV where you really rebuild the winning ways. You say, well, we beat Zurich and we beat Everton and we beat PSV and we're back on track after the United defeat. And then you go to Brentford. But now you're going to Brentford, you know, maybe without having having had those winning ways restored. And a lot of this is more narrative-based, obviously, than it is the actual football-based, Clyde. But I, I do wonder, when you're playing such a precision system as the the kind of positional football we're playing, where the players really need to stay fo- locked in and focused on their roles and their positioning and be drilled, will the time on the training ground help keep that football that we've all enjoyed so far this season in place, or will the absence of games, if it does stretch on for two or even three games or all the way to the Derby, make it difficult to, to stay as locked in for, for the way we're playing right now? I, th- I think the, the concern mostly is, are we going to be able to pick up right where we left off, depending on how long this, this pause extends? Yeah, I suppose, um, it's the same for everybody. First things first. And, um, Secondly, the, the life we've led over the last two, three years with the pandemic has showed us that what is normalcy these days, right? Um, yeah. I would never have thought we'd be watching football with nobody in the stands. I never thought football would be suspended because someone's got an illness. You know, I remember the first game when Arteta was ill, the shock of it, right? So so the shock factor is less to, today than it was maybe three years ago when everything just happened, always happened. Now, look at our working lives right now. I work primarily from home. I travelled on the trains to Canary Wharf for 30 years. I've not been on a train to go into the city for ages. Life has changed, right? So everything changes. So from a training perspective, football perspective, we'll just train and we'll try to have a programme. They may tweak it. They may they may emphasise certain points based on maybe emptying our midfield, shall we say, and not recovering in, and um, our offensive distances, the things I've learned in recent games, they'll have more time to fix them. Players, individual players that have developmental points, they'll have more time to fix them. So the same for everybody. Um, so I'm not 
overly concerned by that. I am more concerned by, without knowing any outcomes, I'm more concerned by fix the congestion, really, and what's going to happen, because there is no room in the calendar. We have a World Cup starting. We come back on Boxing Day. I'm just thinking, how how is this going to be resolved? And that, as far as I'm aware, there is no answers yet. Is next weekend going to be cancelled? Is the funeral going to be on Monday? As at time of recording, these details are not clear to me. You know, so um, on the day of the funeral, things will be cancelled for sure. Um, so it's still a little bit open, Elliot. Really, and um, yeah. But from Arsenal's perspective, and just a young young people's perspective, young sportsmen coming together, I think these rocks in the road are big, but not as big as they once were a couple of years ago. I think people are now more attuned to extraordinary events, which could change your whole outlook on life. Yeah, well said. I, I still think that professional athletes thrive on routine, that their life is scheduled so precisely and that the routine of the season and the cadence of the season is such a big part of how they perform at the highest level. And when you break that up, it is hard for some athletes to be able to react to that and react to that in their best. You know, Clive, I think the thing that is tricky here, and th- this is why you just don't know, is if it's two games that need to be rescheduled, and they get packed into a time late in the season, maybe we're still in the Europa League deep into it. And suddenly we're playing three Premier League games in 10 days when three players are injured, like we had two last season. Or we've been knocked out of the Europa League, and we're at full strength, and we wind up playing these teams when they have injuries. You don't know, right? That's that's the roll of the dice you get. What I know right now is we are pretty well positioned to go out and beat Everton at home this weekend, and we're not going to be able to do that. And wherever we have to go do that later in the season is hard. And I'm sure, you know, what, whether you think this was the right decision or the wrong decision, everyone can certainly recognize that in a season that's already very disrupted and very unusual because of a Winter World Cup, there's not a lot of places to put these games. Um I imagine we're in a position now where realistically the group stage may have to extend into January if the Europa League is postponed. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there may be a, a free week in there sometime, but is that where the Premier League would like to rearrange these games? And and so we'll, we'll have to see how that impacts it. I, I guess what I, what I would ask you, Clive, though, is in terms of, you know, the other teams – this is part of why it bothers me, too. I think we go out and I think we would absolutely batter Everton this weekend. That's just my belief. Um but United didn't look very good in midweek. I want them playing again this weekend. And, you know, Liverpool look like a mess right now. Let's get them losing more games, dropping more points right now, right? I, I feel like it's not just about wanting Arsenal to play because I think Arsenal are looking good. It's that a lot of things are happening in the Premier League right now that I think are advantageous to us. And you you fast forward to when these games get picked up and maybe Liverpool have sorted it out. Some of their midfielders are back. Now they're playing with Thiago, right? Now they're looking like themselves. Nunez is bedded in or, you know, United, Ten Hogs had more time as, as Paul points out. Chelsea get the chance to work with Potter. If you're Fulham right now, you want Chelsea coming to your place this weekend, not six months from now. So in terms of the, the wider league, do you think it's just a little unfortunate because the way things are positioned in the league right now, it favors us if if every if everybody's playing? It favors us right now, but a few a, a couple of weeks or so ago, pre the uh transfer window closing where we had injuries for Thomas Party and El Nenny, we're thinking our world is over. Mm-hmm. And then basically we get to a situation where we go, we <laughs> Douglas Louise becomes a flavor of the month. We don't get him, and suddenly we think we're bereft. 
you know, and we lose the game. And Manchester United are top of the top of the charts. They go out and show their true colours in the week. What I'm trying to say is, Elliot, th- the news cycle is so aggressive and quickly. If you lose one game, you think something's wrong. If you win one game, you think you're going to win the, the World Cup, right? It's just so peaks and troughs. And it does feel a little bit of a shame, but who knows? We could be tired from the midweek game. Everton are sitting at home watching EastEnders while we are ready to play in Zurich. We come back and we could be a little bit turgid in the first half. You know, you, you don't know what's happening. So we just have to take it, not think too deeply ahead. Uh, I will say I think it's a shame that uh, these games are cancelled because the football had this opportunity to pay its respects. And what what better way to show the country around the world um, what what football and what sports people think about the the head of state dying, right? So, so I think that's a it's a shame, really. But this is a path they've chosen. There may be reasons for it, logistically, police, etc. Um, but it's a real shame, and not just from a from a football perspective, but all the people around the country that are involved in sporting events this weekend that put a lot of time in, volunteers, etc., coaches, players, young players, women players, everybody is involved in sports, a big part of their lives. We have to take a pause, and that's that's been decided by other people. But I think it's a real shame that we can't come together and show respect for somebody that's been uh, on the throne for 70 years. But that's just my personal feeling, and um, we just move on, right? Yep, yep, we move on. And again, I cannot stress this enough. There are some people that are going to be deeply moved by this right now and and are in mourning, genuinely. And there are going to be other people that could not feel more differently about that. Those are all the hardest situations to engage, especially in an online environment, because those people will not only disagree, but they will feel that the disagreement is disrespectful to one another and have very strong opinions on it. And so it is incumbent upon us to try to engage with the issues that are relevant express our opinion on them while leaving room for the people who will disagree to feel differently, right? I mean, I lived through 9-11. I remember the disruptions to my life at that time. I was a New Yorker. It affected me deeply. I see. I know some people have sort of invoked that as precedent for, for the stoppage of things right now. To be fair, I, I think they are different situations. You know, that's just my view on it, but of course I would as an American. Um, and... So it is, like I said, it's difficult when things that are somewhat unprecedented happen because some people may feel they're justified and some people may not. Uh, so, and you also you go through a the, yeah. you, you go through a range of emotions, don't you? As the whole thing is very, very fresh, right? So you go through a range yeah. of emotions throughout the next few days and weeks. So what we feel today may change tomorrow, may change next week. And so, and this is what's happening today, is that people express those emotions and opinions and feelings at that point in time, you know? So so that's what we're doing. We're being true to ourselves and just expressing what it means for us from a football perspective. And I think in, and that feels, as football people, we're not going to see football. As as human beings, there are a lot of people feeling very emotional about this. So that's, like I say, well we move on. And, and I, I always tend to sort of think about things from through the lens of someone who's sort of struggling to get by. And there are so many people right now, especially right now with a, a cost of living crisis, struggling so mightily to get by, surviving on so little. And one of the morsels that a lot of a lot of people have are their distractions, their entertainment, their sports, their football, right? And so when you take that away, 
but they still have to go to work. They, you know, there's no pause in the rent. There's no pause in the in the heating bills, in the electric bills. Like it is, it is hard. And so I I do want to recognize that like there are multiple dimensions on which you can approach a, a, an issue like this. And when something is so multidimensional, that's when I think my brain says, you know what, stick to the football implications because you're reacting to something new in the moment as it's happening and probably don't have the ability yet to really have parsed all the various perspectives and you can't walk a mile in everybody's shoes, right? So I can't walk a mile in the shoes of someone who today is feeling immense grief and, and loss. So that is what it is. And the good news is we have some football we can talk about because it did happen. Um, and it was, it was interesting. My, my intro for the instant reaction was football game, not as fun as I wanted it to be more on this breaking news as it develops. And like, Paul, this is one of those games where if you're an Arsenal nerd, there's a lot to tease out of it. And if you're sort of more of a casual, then you're probably not here. But if you're more of a casual, it maybe wasn't the sparkling, crackling, popping excitement that you might have wanted. There's a lot of things here. There's dominance on the ball. There's the ability to turn comfortable situations into uncomfortable situations a little too easily. But I think the first place to start, you can't have a first place to start. You can only start. The place to start is Marquinhos because... Really, I think it was he and Vieira that we were casting our eye on probably the most. And Marquinhos certainly grabbed the spotlight a little bit. I don't think this was a debut for the ages, per se, and we can't really know how good Zurich are or aren't. My suspicion is not very. But Marquinhos did look the business. Physically, he looks like someone who's ready to be playing first-team football, and we've been saying that for a while. But he just simplifies the game. You know what I mean? He, he beats a man, he gets the ball in the box. He arrives to the spot to take a shot. He had the goal. He had one that he could have been a goal where he blazed it over from a similar position or a similar good run. He had a number of those good in-swinging crosses, the likes of of which, you know, like what Ozil put on uh, uh, Alexis's head quite a lot, what Odegaard put on Martinelli's head at the weekend, what uh, Saka often puts in, that that sort of top-of-the-box in-swinger. And I, I just thought he looked really confident. So how impressed were you with with Marquinhos and, and the prospect of him having a role to play in the first team beyond the occasional Europa League appearance. I was very impressed. I wasn't expecting to be this impressed. Um, uh, I couldn't help but compare in my mind, say, a a, a 19-year-old Theo uh, type making his debut or an Oxlade-Chamberlain type making his de- debut um, and us coming away from a game super excited about him and thinking, oh, that was great. It was kind of hit or miss, but the hits were great. What particularly impressed me about Marquinhos was there weren't any misses. I mean, I watched it through again. He, he basically was really good, clean on the ball. He didn't play like a 19-year-old. He pay, played in some ways like a 26, 27-year-old. Um now, okay, you got to allow for the Europa League, but I'm sorry, we've seen many players debut in the U- Europa League or first show their stuff in the Europa League at the age of 18, 19. We've seen Nicolas Pepe light it up, but again, hit or miss, right? He yeah. spills one, kills four with the next, spills another, dribbles into a corner. Like Marquinhos was all, uh, always where you expected him to be, in shape, ready, did something useful with the ball, progressed it. Um, Maybe there have been more scintillating uh, starts, though. You know, this was scintillating enough for me, I'll tell you. 
Um, everything he did was sound quality, good decision making, uh, tested the opposition, laid off a pass. All his crosses were good. All his passes were good. Um, like suddenly you say, hang on a sec. Maybe we're not just keeping him around for a few months and then sending him on loan in January. Like he keeps that up. You're not sending that guy away. That guy's, he's, he looks like a Valencia for United in terms of he's solid. Uh, he does solid things. He gets into good positions. He knows, it. like if you're Arteta, you compare, say, Arteta's relationship with uh, Nuno Tavares, very talented young player, but kind of playing his kind of football, very hit and miss. Uh, and you look at Marquinhos and you say, very hit and hit. Like, not everything. He doesn't try and beat 17 guys every time. Um, mm. Just like re- like the kind of performance that puts a 19-year-old in the frame for the squad to keep him around, get Europa League uh, group games going forward, play a role as a sub. He did everything. He couldn't have had a better debut for what for what would get him in the squad, keep him in the squad, keep him part of the the way we play, keeping him around for this season. And I have a bone to pick f- with those people who didn't like this game. Um, like, I, I have they watched people. other Europa League games? First well, game U- of United the, lost. <laughs> yeah, PSV. Did they lose or draw? I think they drew with Bogo Glimt, uh, mm-hmm. Bodo Glimt. Sorry, uh, Lord of the Rings, and like. Europa League, like, it's a very hard game for a team to manage emotionally and kind of you change enough of the players. and Like, I don't know, have they seen first-round Europa League games before? Well, I think you've just led into a topic. So I want to give Clyde the chance to talk Marquinhos, but a topic we're going to discuss, and I think you made an important one, is one of the things you see with a lot of teams, why they may struggle in the Europa League, or in a domestic cup even, is when you make a number of changes, the football struggles to look the same. And one of the most impressive things about this performance is while it wasn't our sparkling best, it yeah, looked the like structure. Our, it looked like us, exactly. The structure was maintained. It was all I, there. Like I give it back yeah. to Clive. Uh, but like I've seen so many Europa League games where we go out and I'm like, what was that? I mean, it was fun. It was exciting. Nicholas Pepe running all over the place, whatever it may be. But I'm like, what even was that structure? What, yeah. Was there a structure? Well, I, I, that that's a topic. Well, let's do this. Clive, since we're on the topic, let's talk that, and then I'll give you a chance to talk Marquinhos, because that, that's a big talking point here. But so let's just stay on the structure thing for a minute. The thing that really is the, the impressive aspect of this performance for me is that the way we controlled the game, the positioning of the players on the pitch, the, the areas they covered, the way they exchanged and connected, it looked like Arsenal. And I think it is a really good sign when you can bring in a number of different players into the first team and have it still look exactly like your football. That, to me, is a very impressive indication of where we're headed. Yeah, that means we're coached, aren't we? Right? So, yep. And we're not just coaching the first 11 that we all like in our, in our minds. We're coaching the squad. And the squad are doing exactly the same thing. So that's, that's really nice. And... Um, you get players that have certain things they like to do that either make us better or worse than the structure, but the structure is pretty clear. Um, I think we, if I was to be ultra critical, um, a few too many touches on occasions as, as people getting used to playing with other people. And there was maybe opportunities to run through their lines a little bit and we were happy playing in front. But we had the ball, we felt comfortable, so we were messing about a bit. Um, whether that's a 
an issue for us. Um, our control versus our efficiency in the final third uh, needs to improve for me. Uh, is that because I'm a fan? I expect every time we get the ball around the final third, they end up in the back of the net. It doesn't really happen for anybody else, but when it's Arsenal, I want that to happen. Um, so I think we lacked a little bit of, of cut, some slash and devastation in the in the final third, but that's something you can just point out. Next time we go out, we'll do it. You know, so I find up when Saka came on, the one, two, bang, straight in behind. Very easy to fix, right? Easy stuff to fix. So, um, yeah, I thought it was quite nice. I, I agree, Paul. I think these are the games, it's almost like an extra preseason game where you get a chance to really see stuff. You get a chance to really look at players, where they are, how comfortable they feel. These are the games you need to really record in your mind because we're going to need these boys. Seven changes for the game. And we're going to need these boys at, at, very, very quickly. And how they are, where they are, what they like doing, how they mesh, who are the partnerships are really, really important. And on that point, when you're making a debut like Marquinhos is, what you want to do is you want to, you want to impact the game without doing anything stupid. And he impacted the game, was incredibly efficient in the middle third, incredibly efficient in the top third, four key passes, goal assist, compost up, just takes the ball in, travels two yards, chop back with his left foot. He has got soft feet to die for. He puts the ball right be, right between the sticks, which is, a, I said this on the interaction last night, when, when people say he's put a quality ball in, and I always think, what does that mean? Trajectory, speed, information, where does it land? Does it land in a place where a striker can score from? Right? On the, on the Martelli miss, that should have been a goal. Dead centre, beat the centre back in front. Yeah, it should have been a goal, right? Headers so are hard, but yeah, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop protecting your boy, right? Should have been a goal, right? He, he attacked it at speed. The ball was there. He I think the fact that he was there at all shows he's better than Messi. But whatever. Well, I've there you go. Games. There you go. We should have scored. Um, the back post, the back post cross to Eddie. Only one thing to do: head it down. Ball's dropping on his head. Head it down. He did that. Um, his ability just to pass into the box is massive. So if you're like the coach, you're thinking, oh my goodness, Gabriel Jesus, can you just do your Tim back post run? Can you do that, please? Because you're going to get loads off this. Um, so, yeah, I thought he was exceptional. Exceptional at the fundamentals, and that's key. Yeah. So if you're, you're trying to, when you're a young player coming to a side, you're trying to build trust with the coach. You're trying to build trust with the fan base. So now, not only did he play quite well, we're not sure of the standard of the team he played against, but he played quite well. But I trusted him on the ball. I trusted him defensively. I trusted him that he understands he plays the same rhythm of the team and he could pop it off, get it back. I, I trust him not to be too spectacular, to be efficient in possession, strong fundamentals. So if you're the coach now, you're thinking, mate, you're in the squad next game. I now know I can give you 20 minutes end of a game. And you're not going to do anything stupid. And at 19, your talent is obvious. Your power is obvious. Your potential acceleration, punching shots, things we haven't seen yet, but we've seen them on YouTube. They will transfer into the first team eventually. And you've got something to work with, right? So I thought it was incredibly exciting to see him because we know we have a couple of young wingers that were running into the ground. We need a, We need somebody to come in and take some of the the weight of them, so they stay fit. Those two young wingers mm. are carrying us. They need to stay fit. We've got Eddie to help Jesus stay fit. We need some, yep. we need others to make Martinelli and Saka stay fit. I think we might have found one. 
and arguably more important than just the talent level, because we saw this with Pepe, is the ability to come in and, and not just look up to the level, but look like you will replace the player you're stepping in for in a way that is analogous to how they play, right? That, that, that continuity. lets the team continuity. That's a better word. And, and I think that Marquinhos showed whatever the level that there can be a continuity of approach and style and, and Arsenal can still look like Arsenal. I, I know some people, because the internet is a cynical, cynical place. We're making fun of him for his emotional outpouring after scoring the goal. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it is a beautiful reminder that these are kids trying to make their dream come true. Having come from all kinds of disparate backgrounds to find yourself playing for a club in London as a teenager, scoring a goal in European competition. If you can't understand how that could overwhelm a child, a literal child, then maybe the cynicism has overcome you just a little too much. The journey of some of these players... Uh, wherever they come from, South America. Go back and read Gabriel Magliash's story, where he's mm-hmm. been, what happened to him before he got here in terms of his treatment sent out. Like, these guys are batted around the place, um, like, with no protection, no sense that somebody's looking at And they get to a club like Arsenal, where at least for the, the time you were here, uh, there are people whose jo- literal job is to make sure you have a thing called career projection who will help you move on to future careers if it doesn't work out for you, future opportunities within football, have a path for you. Now, I know it's not all glorious and lovely, but like that guy, this is an absolute dream of a move for him, plucked out of nowhere, all his hopes and dreams. He gets out, he makes a debut, he scores a goal for Arsenal, one of the top teams in the world. Jesus the greatest team the world has ever seen, I think it's fair to say. Some would say, yeah. even the Queen. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Big Arsenal fan. So, we are um, reliably led to believe, would have yes. said. Yes. Uh, I, I want to be clear that there were some bad things in this game that we are going to get to because we are a podcast that covers the bad things. And I think the bad things are actually relevant to our season and we need to discuss them. Uh, there were some additional good things. I also want to say a word for the Zurich fans, who I think created a sensational atmosphere, not even in their home ground. Uh, the away fans, the Arsenal away fans don't get drowned out. They got drowned out a bit in this game. Really good atmosphere. And you realize, like, just because we laugh and look down at the Europa League in some ways, it's a big, big thing for these fans to have Arsenal rock up at their ground or their uh, not ground. <laughs> but, but you know, they can create a bit of a cauldron. I thought it was a good atmosphere. So because it's a good atmosphere, because European football is exhilarating, please don't forget... UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams, and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live and exclusive on Paramount+. Plus And also the Europa League where Arsenal play because this is an Arsenal podcast, but they don't play because the games are off. But you get the idea. Please watch. And now a word from Nord. Because sometimes you want to watch a different streaming service, but you can't because you're in the wrong geographic location. Oh, you want to watch Match of the Day? Sorry, you can't because you're not in... Yeah, well, now you can. You want to watch an NBC program? You want to watch, you know, coverage of the league from over there, from over here, you want to watch content that is geographically locked, or you just want to browse safely? Well, you can do it with NordVPN. And by the way, that's how I do it. 
If you're bored of US Netflix, take a spin in the UK using NordVPN and a click of a button. You can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus different server options. No shows out of your reach. By the way, you just you open the app and you tip, tap click connect, quick connect to the region you want to be in. You're connected. Use our link. Use our link, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision. You receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and one month free. There's also threat protection, by the way, right? Double down on keeping you safe with threat protection. You can say goodbye to things like um, your, uh, what's it called? Spyware, phishingware, all, all that stuff. Infected files, threat protection kicks in, deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. So let's let's get this done. NordVPN.com forward slash ArsenalVision. NordVPN.com forward slash ArsenalVision. You can get a two-year plan one month free. And last but not least, our favorite friends. Our friends who make your business better, who make your hiring better. Indeed's the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites. That would be dumb. Go to one job site where you can find the candidates with the right skills and help you do it all. That's Indeed. You got instant match. You know what it is. You've heard me say it. You got assessments. You know what it is. You heard me say it. Virtual interviews. Ah! You don't need to go interview in person. <sighs> Virtual interviews, that's what you're going to do. With Instant Match, candidates who invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who just see it and search. And with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Join over 3 million businesses using Indeed to hire great talent faster. Remember, with Indeed, you only pay for the applicants that match your must-have requirements. Wish that's how the transfer window worked. Doesn't. It does it indeed. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. So visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring now. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Energy supply. Cost per application price not available for everyone. You need to hire. You need to hire. Is that enough? Of that? Indeed. Now that um so Clive. Cliver. Let's let's not bag on individuals yet. Let's bag on the team. The one thing that could get my whiskers growing, make me whiskerish, is the fact that we seem to be turning a, a few too many comfortable, very comfortable situations into uncomfortable situations with the ability to be caught out by sort of long straight ball over the top, towards the back. The counterattack is something we're going to be vulnerable to. By the way, I'm willing to make a little bit of trade-off for vulner of vulnerability for the dominant possession and attacking football that we have. I'm not sure that we've got that balance quite right yet. And I do think that we made this game a little more uncomfortable than it needed to be. This should have been a 5-0. It felt like it was going to be a 5-0, but the cutting edge maybe wasn't quite right. Them getting the penalty, all right, it's a little unfortunate, right? Uh, and Ketty is just going to clear a ball and someone sort of gets their leg over his. I'm not super mad about giving away the penalty. It's more the number of times they found themselves able to pretty easily get in behind. So are you willing to put that down to just the changing back line, or do you think there's something there? Because I think, I think that balance of how we shut down the counterattack is... is Still a concern that Mikel will be trying to sort out. Yeah, so I've just been thinking about this while you were asking your question. And I actually think... I didn't ask a the, question. I just talked yeah, and then I stopped talking. Yeah, which is normal stuff. Paul's smiling, normal, knowing, the, knowing the correct. life we lead on this podcast, right? Mm -hmm, so, so basically, Please. the way I look at it is, the issue for me is how we attack, not how we defend. So 
We all know we attack, we're using our wide triangles, wide diamonds, so we empty the middle, we leave the middle person exposed. Done that for a year now. We know that. But when we do attack wide, I think we're just losing a touch of directness. I think we're becoming confident. I think we we know we're quite good. The players have improved. We're physically confident in jewels. We know we, we are arriving, shall we say. We're arriving. And that moment when you when we say to everybody, get out of our way, is only a few months away. Right? So, so what does that mean? That means to me we're not penetrating enough. So when you penetrate, what you do is you slide the ball through, one, two, three passes, bang, in behind, you penetrate. When you start getting a team running backwards, what they do is they pull people in. They pull people in, and they're not thinking about attacking. So what May United showed us very showed me really quickly is that when you mess up your build-up and you don't penetrate, you play in front of people, and then you lose it, you then open transition. If you penetrate, that ball's going towards the byline or the corner flag or into the penalty box, people are running back. They don't think about transition. They think about protecting their win bonus. They right? don't think about transitioning on you. And so I think we've become a little bit, we're lacking a bit of directness in our attack is when we lose it, it makes us look vulnerable in our defence. And even with Zurich, I saw the centre of the pitch open, and we're looking at it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Sambi watch. You know what I mean? I'm looking where we go. We can't be sitting here one week saying, oh, look at Shaco, look at him in the box. He's doing wonderful things, blah, blah, blah. And when we when the tax breaks down, we say, look at our defence. Where's our defence? Blah, blah, blah. Improve our attack. Be more efficient. Be more direct. Because that's where the gold is. We are gambling on attack. We are gambling on goals. We defend with five. We attack with five. But it doesn't take much. If you get around that middle man, which I would do, I'd get around Sammy really, really quickly, rat-a-tat around him, and, and you're into the back two, back three. Right? So, so I think it's very important we attack with real incision because that will drive behaviours of the opposition. It will stop them thinking about attacking us. So... For me, Elliot, it's about attack, attack with slashing, penetration and speed. And I think do that more often. But if it doesn't work out, you've turned them. Do you see what I mean by that? You've turned the defence around. They're now back and they're turned. They're not stepping on, jumping onto us and then transitioning on us. And you're seeing the outcome. The outcome is, crikey, if they made that pass, they were in. Do you see what I mean? That's yeah. what you felt a bit yeah. like last yeah. night. And I think yeah. it's how we attack will dictate how we defend. I hope that makes sense to the uh, listener. No, I, I think I think that's right. And I, you know, watching the Manchester United game again, I I feel that some of it was fortuitous. I, I don't think it was a structural issue per se. I thought there was more of that against Zurich. And to be fair, I just thought there were also some individually not as strong performances at the back, which is to be understood because we weren't playing with our our first 11. I will say that for me, I really noticed the difference when we're controlling possession as much as we did of the switch from Zinchenko to Tierney. And that's not because I don't think Tierney is a good player. He's quite a good player, and I think he's quite a good defensive player. But when you're going to have that much possession in the attacking third, I, I, I noticed... That difference, I, th- I think. Can, that can I ask a, you a question? Can I yeah. ask you both mm-hmm. a question, actually? Because Carantini is a fine player. He's a storming, running, crossing, aggressive, front-footed player that can defend. And we're, it seems to me, much like we did with Nuno last year, we're trying to mould him into an inverted fullback, stroke centre midfielder, right? So, 
is this the right thing to do? Or should we be focusing on his strengths? Because at this moment in time, everyone's looking at Kieran Tierney and wondering, did I, have I seen the same player that I did see a year and a half ago when he was our best attacker? Right? So I'm torn between do we focus on how we play and we mould people into how we play, or do we say, by the way, Kieran Tierney is a great fifth person in the, in the front five. We get him there more often and we do things that way. So we literally change how we play based on the personnel that we have. What's your thoughts on that? I'll let Paul answer, but I will just say that mine is, I think we have found a system that works. It is a system that can deliver results. And I wouldn't, for the sake of Kieran Tierney progressing or Kieran Tierney contributing, change it. I'd rather have a Kieran Tierney, I'd rather have someone else playing the position or Tierney playing it at a six out of 10 than Tierney playing at a nine out of 10 level in a system that's less effective overall, if I've explained that well, which I haven't. Paul, after you. After me. <laughs> but, but, before yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Kyle Walker, I think, is my answer. Um, mm. I did not think Kyle Walker would work out to be this good a player for Manchester City. It's a good call. Um, and I wonder if that's what Arteta has in mind for how Kieran Tierney can be of value to this particular team. You think of Cancelo with Zinchenko. Now, we've got other players. We've got Tommy, we've got Ben White on the right-hand side who can do uh, some Kyle Walkering too. There's, uh, we have options. But you could see um, Arteta's wheels turning and saying, here's a guy who can really defend, who is fast, who against the bigger teams when we're in the quarterfinals and the semifinals and the final of the Champions League, you want this option. Maybe he doesn't start, but maybe he ends the game. Uh, maybe he does start, depending. It all depends on what the challenge is against you. And, you know, in the Europa League or in uh, a number of these uh, Premier League games, it won't be the opponent who decides how you set up. It'll be us who decide how we set up, how we play that game. But the bigger games you get to, maybe the Kyle Walker option is exactly what you need to control certain uh, forces against you. Um, I think it's only... Look, Kieran Tierney is such a hard worker, such a hard trainer. Um, I hear what Clive's saying. I, I think everything we've seen says that Arteta will... like. Uh, left-footed players on the left, right-footed players on the right. He he doesn't really deviate from his blueprint. Arteta has a blueprint, and the players who can't make it to that blueprint, he's not going to compromise it in the meantime, and he seems to have the club. If he had the club management and ownership saying, you can only work with what you've got in front of you, he might have to go a bit more Graham Potter on it. But they seem to buy into his vision where he's trying to get to, and he's trying to get there as fast as he can. He wants players to fit the blueprint, not the other way around. Um, I guess it's a very interesting thing to see if Tierney can make that transition, that jump. I mean, he was so central in midfield at times if Sambi pulled to the right. I mean, Kieran Tierney was right of the center circle at times. Um, so it's going to be very interesting progress to watch yes Clyde yeah, I just uh, I just wanted to say I was just looking at his heat map just now and I actually thought he was a little bit more Kieran Tierney that we know in this game because the opposition was very good um, then he was inverted right so he decided you know sod this I'm going down the wing right so off he went and did and did some good stuff and that's what made me think about it 
do we allow him to be what comes more natural to him? Because I thought he had quite a decent game, you know? But because we've become so obsessed with ball progression and we've become such, such great tacticians, we're looking at him versus somebody else that we didn't even know about three months ago, didn't know about his impact to the team and his technical ability in his turning circle or Tinchenko is unreal. He's probably the most technical player in the team right now. Right, and that's his skill. So we're now comparing someone who's a monster athlete, really aggressive, really front-footed, really forceful, and we said, hold on, I'm not sure about him. Well, hold on. You know, let's think this through a little bit more. Every game's not the same. Every game is different, and there will be times, and I just, I'm conscious of what we're all doing with Kieran Tierney, is we're rubbishing him. And I don't feel, I, I may be extreme, I may be extreme, is when I say we, I'm called, we have got a number of people listening to the podcast, mate. <laughs> and I say the collective we. Some of them are. Right? So, them yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of, when I say we, I'm, I'm air quotes, right? We are right. not rubbishing him, but we are, th- we're looking at him. Our eyes are on him, aren't they? There are our eyes are on him, like, and we're doing it, we're comparing and contrasting. We're doing it with Sambi, with Thomas Pye, we're comparing and contrasting, we're comparing and contrasting. Not every game is the same. Not every opponent is the same. I just want to just draw that line there. And I'm asking the question, how to extract the maximum from players? Because we all want the same thing, which is comfortable Arsenal wins that we can then brag about, basically. Yeah, of course. Look, let's move off Tierney. I, I, I think we can finish it by simply saying, I don't think that any of us believe there is anything other than a very good player in there. And there is a question about that player's ability to ape the role that Zinchenko has been given and that Arteta envisions for that position in a way that contributes what we need to the team and also brings out what's good about Tierney. I think he's good enough player to do it. It's just, um, it's not just a rewiring of instinct. It's it's a rewiring of of your sort of understanding of where to be on the pitch positionally. Uh, Paul, the... There's a couple more players that I want to talk about quickly. Let's do a couple of quick hits. One quick hit on Sambi. I really like this player. I get that there are things in his game he needs to tighten up in terms of his quickness to switch on off the ball and his intensity of his running to get to his spots. Those things will be ruthlessly exploited at the highest level if he doesn't tighten them up. On the ball, I think we're seeing a player who's really starting to feel himself and, and his capabilities. The range of passing is really quite good, and he had the one gorgeous pass to, I guess it was to Fabio Vieira, just strides onto it left foot, over the top, lands on Vieira's toe, and Vieira tries to chip the keeper, lands on the roof of the net. I, where, where where do you land on the, the Sambi scale? Because I think some people, he just does not click for them because they feel that his maybe it's the intensity or the pace of his game or his positioning isn't what it needs to be. For others, like myself, who maybe see the skillfulness on the ball, and the development he's made there, I think there's a real player in there. So where, where do you land on this, this Sambi performance? Uh, well, this performance was great. I don't know that it tested him to his full measure in the same way United did. Of course. Of course. Uh, where, uh, you know, part of the United game was us forcing it. And then you go to positions... Uh, lanes where maybe you shouldn't be because we're just, you know, you're chasing the game. Um, Part of the Sambi thing is a a little trick of the eye, I think. That gambling way he runs like a a lamb in a field, like a foal who's just been introduced to spring. Um, uh, But maybe it also speaks to my one concern about him. Like, I think Sambi is like a superb two in a pivot 
And what we're asking him to be is to be the one. And there's a kind of a darkness and intensity and malevolence you need in that deepest player. Uh, it doesn't need to be a destroyer, a monster, uh, uh, shielding your defense. But now the thing about Sambi is I actually think he has a bit of badness in him. Uh, the Brighton game I talked about last year, like there were one or two nasty tackles he put in when he needed to. Um, and I've seen it once or twice this year. He'll put in a tackle. He'll make a quick cynical foul. I think he's super intelligent. And while he doesn't necessarily exude uh, the bit of the bastard that I'm looking for in a DM, not everybody comes about it the same way. I think positionally, he's too smart not to know where he stands. Back to Clive's brilliant analogy on the standing on the squash tee, playing against that big lump of a guy who you, you go onto a squash court with and you, you think, I'm going to outrun that guy. And mm -hmm. boy, are you. But he's going to win all the points. Uh, somehow he's going to get it. He's going to be standing on that tee and still get the ball back, even though you put it in the corner by strolling over, by assessing when he needs to get into that corner to scoop it out, and he'll be back on that tee. Um, Sambi's smart enough. Uh, I've no doubt. I don't know why, but he just exudes intelligence to me. He's smart enough to work out all the positional stuff. I think he's cynical enough. He's got a bit of the darkness. Does he really have that intensity It's that's instinctual? Like you see Martinelli versus Saka, they just have a different switch on point in intensity when they go chase something, right? Saka's a good presser, but he's, it's not Martinelli intensity. It's not Gabriel Jesus intensity. There's just something there, right, instinctual at a level. That's my one... I know it seemed like a minor quibble, but I think with Sammy, the thing... I hope to see is that he really believes the job is for him, that he really grows into it, that he really, yeah. he, like with the ball, he's just great. He's yeah. really, yeah. really good. But but I think I want to distinguish between what he was last season and this season. I see that I think he's stronger in the duels. He will he will drive beyond a man with, with strength. He's harder to take off the ball. I think his passes have a little more urgency Oof. to them Oof. yeah they zip so all right enough about sambi clive if i don't get to something negative here my head will explode you know i need to do that so let's talk about this this seems the irony is of all the freaking things people can argue about online and there's so many good things to get really really mad about online just go online they're all there people get really really mad about the matt turner analysis so let's get those people mad for a second look we have very little to go on but if we can use the very little we have to go on with Marquinhos and say, he's great. Wow, he's great. We should be able to say there are some questions, I think, with Matt Turner. Now, admittedly, if he hadn't had a bit of a questionable preseason appearance, then we may not be reading as much into the questionable Europa League appearance. But Clive, like, the issue for me is some of the touches on the ball and the short passing. The way I mean, there was one where Gabriel makes a mistake, but part of the reason Gabriel makes a mistake is because the pass from Turner rolls to him like it was like lawn bowling. It was just so slow. And I, I think if if you look in as nervous as he looked on the ball against Zurich, that's you know that's a little bit of a concern. So I, I'm curious: is this something? Nothing? Somewhere in between? Because I, I thought I thought that this was another performance that made me wonder about whether he's sort of mentally prepared for the level he's stepped up to, you know? 
Yeah, I think mentally is the is the um, thing that I'm looking at, and he's come from the MLS. I was looking for a good tweet actually that someone sent us earlier about the amount of appearances that he's had uh, versus Fewer Ramsdale. appearances at 28 than Ramsdale's had for Arsenal at yeah whatever he is 24. Yeah, mm-hmm. 20, and so Ramsdale's a very experienced 23, 24 year old, and Matt Turner's 28, and he hasn't played as many games as Ramsdale has. Full stop. Right. So, and yep. also he's playing in a different league. So. I, again, it's context. Context comparing and contrast again, right? So you have the German goalkeeper in Leno, who is basically someone that we trust. Um, and even though his distribution is average and he doesn't come off his line, we trust him because he's a known quantity. Matt Turner's come from the MLS. Let's be honest, most of us are ignorant about the MLS and its level, right? So, and the, and the rest of us are ignorant about goalkeepers. So, but we all feel that we're re- we're we're well positioned to opine on on this guy. So I speak to a goalkeeping coach friend of mine called Mark, and we talk about Matt Turner and goalkeepers all the time to make sure I'm in, <laughs> as informed as I can be. I tell you what I saw last night. I saw a player that got a hospital pass on Gabriel in a cul-de-sac. Thanks very much on my weak foot with all my passing exits completely closed down with three and a half thousand Arsenal fans behind me with wide eyes. Thank you, mate. For my competitive mm-hmm. debut, um, and then he—that's all he did. And then, then from there on in, he was—he was fine. He was absolutely fine. But we've got—we've got some evidence now. We've got preseason. We've got um, some edginess there when he's obviously massively excited and nervous to play for Arsenal. And now he got this. Oh, that's enough. That's all I need. We need to make a change. We need to make a change. Mm-hmm. You get ruthless about goalkeeper. What a load of crap! Seriously, what a load of rubbish! This is an international goalkeeper that's learning his way. And if he came from the championship, we wouldn't be saying the same things. We need to give this guy time. We need to give him time. He's athletic. His distribution is fine. He's, I've seen him being a very good shot stopper. At the moment, he hasn't shown it for us yet. As soon as he does, in front of a home crowd, we're going to be okay. At the moment, we're not sure. And that's okay to be not sure because we're building the trust again, aren't we? You know, we're sure about Marquinhos until he puts a cross into the car park. Then we won't be so sure, you know, and that's the nature of things. And so, so I'm prepared to wait. I think he's, I think he's got a huge, I think he's got potential. He's athletically good. He's fast off his line. He made the decision, I sent the interesting reaction last night on that last, towards the end of the game header, when he could have come out like Superman. He stayed in his line. And he played the ball gently because he knew his centre-backs were in charge. The more times yeah. he plays, the better decisions he will make. And then hopefully he gets a good save that we can all see him. You know, the games, he's been, he's been quite dominant. He's either, let, he's either let a couple in or he's not had a, anything to do. You know, so he hasn't that's had a, a chance. We haven't really seen him as a shot stopper yet. That's exactly. A, that's a good point. Yeah. He's just let them in or in pre-season where he's had, where he's had no chance. And then he's... Uh, and it, it, and so he looks, we're judging him based on the small bit of data that we have. I'm not ready to conclude anything yet. You know, um, that's where I am. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning about him. That's what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Look, we've seen some very bad second goalkeepers for big clubs. We've seen some very bad first goalkeepers. Like, I mean, Keppa was letting in 50% of the shots he faced for a season, having been 80 million pounds. It's a hard position to solve. We've solved it quite brilliantly. With a player who, oh, by the way, the starter, Ramsdale, work to be done in his game, right? Young man, still more to add to his game. It's not like he didn't make an error that almost led to a United goal at the weekend, right? When he passed it straight out to to one of their guys and thankfully saved Remember Emmy, Emmy Martinez, saved. when when Leonard got injured at Brighton, Emmy Martinez was going to come in. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, yeah. he's like a sieve. I don't want him to play. 
right? And he came in at 26, 27, and a few loans, and he came in, and then he built our trust by performances. It takes yeah. time. Remember, remember that goalkeeper, Lorius Carrius, that played Liverpool in the European Cup final? Yeah, had a, watched a him meltdown down in front of the world. It was terrible. Yeah. And, and Newcastle <laughs> potentially about to sign him as a backup goalkeeper. I think yeah. I, I, I think that's a great story. Somebody basically melted down in front of the one and a half the billion world. people. Yeah. You can recover. Just give people time. You know, I, I do. I've seen some of the discourse, and I don't like it. Right after a small amount of games well, look, and a dodgy left-footed pass. It, it's okay to say there are some worrying signs here that have me not prepared. Like if Ramsdale wasn't available for the next Premier League game, we'd all be a little nervous about that. But you know what? Like that, that's that's life with your backup keeper too. I'm I'm willing to glaze over, gloss over it as I glaze over. Paul, I will give you like <laughs> 15 seconds to add on to this because we have one more topic to get to. Yeah, well, I mean, Clive says many of us aren't that knowledgeable about MLS. We're not that knowledgeable about goalkeepers, but we do know something about terror. And uh, uh, you know, maybe and it's he, in the he name. It? Is that your point? <laughs> he exhibits it in me. Um, yeah. Maybe there's something in his name, you know, Turner, Turnerson. There's something about it. It's there's a ring to it that makes me stop uh, it. Use. <laughs> I'm. I'm on. I want to be clear. I'll plant my flag. I'm on Paul's side here. I'm nervous about this guy, and and I want him to prove me wrong because he's an Arsenal man, and and he's here. And but Paul, like, it. It's hard. I do right? have a serious point. Please make the believe point. it or not, which is, uh, like somebody said, well, he hasn't played that much. You know, okay, he's 28, but he hasn't played that much. But there's a time you learn, and there's a time to acquire, to develop skills. Like Saka was Saka when he was 18. Um, there's a time you learn stuff. I, I, I know you're going to say this, Clive. I know you're going to say this. I know you're going to say coaching, and I know you, but, and I know we haven't seen the, oh, he do, he, he's disagreeing with even everything I'm saying that I know really he'll say. Time. Come on. <laughs> but my point would be, I disagree with what Clive's about to say because there's <laughs> for, <laughs> and now I'm going to beat you with my next point that you haven't even made um, There's a fluid intelligence and there's a crystallized intelligence. He's at the point where he's supposed to have the crystallized abilities, the skills, are so, and he's adapting and like you see Granit Xhaka adapting. Granit Xhaka isn't learning. He's adapting. He has what he has. And he, the old dog has new t- tricks based on the tricks he had. And, like, we, there's so much we haven't seen with Matt Turner yet. <clears throat> Maybe he's way better than he's shown. But he's not going to acquire and develop. All, like, we saw Leno trying to make the ga- this particular, starting from much higher base, trying to make the change to playing with his feet. What we saw was, oh, he's getting quite good. And then things got tough and he went back to what was safe. And he started with pretty decent uh, at his feet ball skills. And I'm concerned how far back Matt Turner is to where he needs to be. Now, maybe we'll just play a different system, but back to the uh, Arteta conversation. I don't think Arteta wants to play with a different kind of goalkeeper at the back. So I know it's horses for courses, but not when it's a keeper. There's just, there is always an urge. Like, this is the thing I don't get. There is a willingness to be urgent and first with reaction Mm -hmm. if it's positive. There's a willingness to be urgent and first with reaction if it's negative. And like, 
I get that both of those can be wrong. But having a negative first impression doesn't mean you're dismissing someone any more than having a positive first impression means you're sure they're great. Let's not forget, Arsene Wenger said, I'm sorry, Rob Holding didn't cost 50 million pounds, right? Like they're every some players get their day in the sun and then prove their levels a little lower. Some players struggle at first and prove their level is higher. People weren't sold on Martinelli at all times over the last couple of seasons. You know, I mean, it, it, it happens. Not everybody was sure Gabriel Jesus was the right guy. Like th- these opinions are fluid. But here's the thing. There's still data points. Runner Runnerson came to Arsenal and didn't look very good early on. And it turns out he just wasn't really good at all, period, full stop. He's not a very good player, and he was not our standard. I don't think Turner looks great, and he may prove to be a perfectly great backup who may even ascend to a level where he's challenging Ramsdale. That would need to change. Some data points would need to come along to change my view on that. So this is the early data point, and the early data points for me are guy who hasn't played a lot of football at 28 Stepping up to bigger level looks like guy who is slightly overawed by bigger level right now. Will that change? It absolutely could change, and that's fine because we don't really need him to play all that much. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Let's see where it goes. Final point, Clive. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree a lot of that mm-hmm. on the goalkeeper. He does look a little bit wide-eyed, you know. But we've got a few of our players look a bit wide-eyed, particularly one at Newcastle last year. I'm just prepared to wait. That's okay. all it is. I'm prepared yeah, why to not? wait. Why not? Um, why? Why we? And and the reason why I went to mention his appearances earlier is because that's quite unique for a 28 year old not to have as many appearances as somebody at 23, 24. You know, and I think playing for a different league. I'm prepared to wait. This is a league. Yeah, but you know, I have no I'm appearances at wait. the age I am now, and and that's that's an important data point, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and to be <laughs> honest, no and, to, and by the way, I'm not I'm not dumb. I feel nervous too. But that's some of the right. some of the some of the responses are conclusive, and I think oh, don't all know right. So, so can, yeah. can, that's the thing. It's okay for this to be a data point and say this data point gives me some concern. Say, it, acknowledging the data point is not the same as drawing a conclusion. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Th- those are yeah, two yeah, different yeah. things. Yeah. I, I do. I want to get to Vieira before we get out of here, though, because the, oh, arguably yes. the player we were most looking at in this game was Vieira, and in a way, I think he was just there, and, and maybe that's a credit to him because he was just there. Um, um, okay, so Paul's going to drop, leave your, your camera up and Will your, do. your, your yeah, thing, yeah. everything. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants. You take Bye. your goalkeeper's opinions with you. <laughs> <laughs> take, all, take, take them all. Take all the opinions. To be fair. And my <laughs> terror. And the analogy. And the my analogy. Terror. And your terror. Get out of here. But, but leave yeah, everything up, please. I beg of you. Okay. Paul's gone. Uh, Clive, as a, as a final thought, the, the, the interesting thing about Vieira is maybe the best thing you could say about him is, he he was just there. It wasn't like he was there and he was fine and he and he did what he needed to do. I I think I wanted him to sizzle and pop and sparkle and be the best player on the pitch because I'm ready for him to like just barge the door down and be that guy. This was just a solid good performance and I I I the problem is sometimes you want to tease content out of everything. I don't think there's much here. I think it's a perfectly fine performance. I don't think there's anything to really sink our teeth into. Is is where I fell on it. Yeah, I, 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 again, I'm just looking to see if he looks like he belongs in our team, and uh, he does to me. He looks like one of our lot, right? He gets the ball, he moves the ball, manipulates the ball, he's press resistant, he plays the right pass with the right weight, with the right trajectory, and he can clean up a little bit of some of his first touches. He's got a bit of pace about him, he wants to run into the box. You know, penetrate. I'm thinking, oh, that's good. That means you don't mind overlapping. If you're a 10, overlapping your wide man, that's interesting because Odegaard doesn't do that. He wants the ball in front so he can manipulate it, go out the other side. 
Very interesting player, multi-positional. Again, I, I thought it, I thought it was really, really good. What I'm looking for in it from him is personality to get around the pitch. Again, look at his heat map. He's everywhere. Primarily on the right, but he's also coming deep. He's coming on to the left. And we need that glue player to get around and be a connector on both sides of the pods and really move. I think we're playing a little bit more of a... It, it feels a bit more tenny to me than, than right eight, if you see what I mean. We're, we are being a bit more rotational. We are moving around a little bit more. So somebody that receives the ball properly is what I'm looking at. But really what I like about him is his mobility. And I think he's quite, and that's how strange, he, he switches on defensively as well. He wants to defend. He wants to go in. He wants to run with people. I, I quite like that. I Again, a, a developing picture. But he looks like one of us. Doesn't a dud. He looks like one of us that we can mould into his team in either three or four positions really, really easily because he looks after the ball, shares it appropriately, manipulates himself to receive the ball, to move it through him out to somebody else. He plays the style of football that we have become accustomed to. And Arteta seemed to really like this player. And when you see him play, you think, okay, I know what you like here. And to be fair, I got a tweet today saying, I also tried to get him a year ago. So they've really had him on their on their eye line. They were told go away, and this time they come back and went straight in, right? So they they know what they're doing here with the specifics of these players, and I think it's just for me as a fan. I'm thinking, okay, well you found him. Let me spend a little bit of time learning about him rather than judging him. If that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. we Odegaard doesn't play. We're flat as a pancake, mate. When this guy comes in. He's got the rhythm and the personality to maybe keep those creative juices going, right? So, um, so yeah, so I was very interested by him and Marquinhos, really, what they bring to the group as a whole. And it, it is ultimately the goals that that stick out in your mind in a game, and so they they become the reason to feel good about a game or not good about a game. And but unfortunately, they're not the only thing happening. And and so you can you can lose it. We we rewatched the second mm. half of the United game, and I think we came away with a very interesting perspective on that. This was two point seven expected goals for Arsenal, which is in expected goals world a lot, and seventy yeah. percent possession. So we didn't just control the ball and the pitch; we controlled the volume of chances. We gave away a penalty, which is like I think like a point eight expected. So if you take away the penalty. It's two point seven to point four expected goals with seventy percent possession. At the end of the day, yeah. if you go do that. You know, I know that's just the stats, but the eye test tells you we we had this game and and we made it feel more uncomfortable than it needed. I was going to say, Elliot, is that is that the story of the game? The fact that we have those numbers, which you can you know look yeah. sound pretty good to me, but the last five minutes I'm sitting there thinking this is a bit edgy. Please don't gauge that yeah. big number nine because you might just do something. Rob Holding's mm-hmm. grabbing onto people in the box. I'm thinking, mate, don't do what he did at Spurs. This is not the time to be grabbing people when they roll around you. And so I'm thinking, why am I feeling like this? This is total domination. And I think the story of the game is our efficiency around the box. The story of the game is our shot selection, pass selection. What Martinelli and Eddie did in the, um, where they were just trying to outscore each other and taking the wrong shots and the wrong crosses and the wrong passes, yeah. like yeah, a bunch of under 10s. You know, and I'm thinking, come on, let's, let's get serious here. We need to start at, at establishing ourselves. And I think Eddie did some like weird drag back, like put his foot on the ball and yeah, yeah. roll it backwards and went to Zerkai. And like, 
I'm sure Arteta will be talking to them about the seriousness required, the level, right? Because I get it. You want to show we're your skill and have some fun. Yeah. yeah, we're better. But but be better than them when it's four nil. When the game is still yeah. in the balance, you have to show the you have to show the seriousness. That's absolutely. All. You, you know, we're playing three nil football at nil nil. Let's just get on with the yeah. job and do it properly. And and then you, what happens then? People think oh, we can't afford to be stepping on and jumping on their centre mid here. Let's just sit in. That's what teams have done against the better teams. They sit away. This stuff we do, this, this playery stuff we do, I think it encourages people. It, and I want to discourage people by being more efficient when it really, really counts. And um, if I'm Arteta now, that's what I'm drilling into these guys, knowing he's never going to lose a game, never going to drop any points. That's the time you can go hard on the message where it doesn't really, um, it doesn't have the same emotional impact. But this is the time you grab people and say, stop messing about. I know it is easy, but make it easier. Yeah, I, I, I will. I will say. I think right now, I mean, if you look at it, Arsenal's toughest opposition is the games being canceled because every game we go out there, we play our game. Those XG numbers look roughly the same. The the patterns of play look roughly the same. And if we just keep doing that, it's going to be a good season. But you you can't beat the stoppage of of sport. And I will say. You know, we're always recording as news is breaking. It looks like cricket's going ahead this weekend. It looks like rugby's going ahead. I think it is really interesting that the, the sort of working man's football is is not. I don't know. Uh, it feels weird to me, especially in the context of other sport going ahead, but there you have it. So we'll see how this develops and how long it goes on for. Um, Paul is already gone. Couldn't bear to stay on this podcast another moment. <laughs> Clive is on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Now I'm supposed to say... My usual outro. I don't know who will be playing next or when we will be playing it, but we will give you all the content imaginable between now and then. Look, we did pods three, four times a week during the pandemic shutdown. We can handle this. We can get there together. Uh, We will find a way to get there together. And we love you for being here with us and, you know, sharing differences of opinion on a wide range of topics. We love you. And we will hopefully talk to you after Arsenal 10, Everton New. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.